Welcome everyone. Ask Rabbi Miller by Simchas HaChaim Publishing. How far should a person go to fulfill the mitzvah of And the answer is, it depends on the circumstances. If you have to go to work, so your job is to your wife and your children. You have to pay rent for them. So you have to weigh one thing against another. If the Oira happens to be a dangerous person, let's say you see him walking, mumbling to himself, so watch out. Let him stay in the street. If you want, you can carry out something to him in the street, but close your door behind you. It depends on the circumstances how far you should go. If it's a Meshulach from Eretz Yisrael or a Chosit from Williamsburg and he's walking in the hot sun all day long trying to collect a dollar or so for his 14 children and he comes to your house, try to inveigle him to get a glass of water in your house. He wouldn't eat anything else in your house, I can assure you. He's afraid that your milk is not of Yisrael. He's afraid that your bread is not kosher. But ask him, Maybe you want a glass of water? Maybe you want an orange? Oh, if you can deceive such a man, you can trick him into taking an apple from you, then you have lived for a purpose that day. Pity, people don't understand that. They give him a dollar, let him go on. And he goes fast, weary and thirsty from house to house. This man has a lot of children. And he works. He works in a factory. But Sundays he's off. So Sundays he goes collecting money to pay tuition for his children. That's what they do. They have to pay tuition. The Satma Achela doesn't give her nothing. And so on Sundays he collects tuition for his children. So if you see him on the street and you give him something, not a bad idea to invite him in for a drink. If you can pour something down his throat, you're a lucky man. So how far you should go depends on the circumstances, depends on the giver and the recipient and on the circumstances. How can you make your people to stop talking during the Chazorah How can you stop people from talking during Chazorah and And the answer is, you have to read to them what it's written in the tour and the Shulchan It says, Kol ha-soch sicho betaylo besoch hazorazashatz. Anybody who talks, unnecessary talk. Now, unnecessary talk means if it's something that's dangerous, you have to tell somebody, watch out, somebody else. Otherwise, you don't talk. He's a sinner. You have to scold him. All around. You see somebody talking, everybody should start shouting, shah, shah, shah. All around. His sin is too big to forgive. That's a terrible thing to say. His sin is too big to forgive because it's a sin of Chilol Hashem. If everybody is standing or sitting in a shul and the shots are speaking for them to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and this nincompoop, this empty head, this let's, 
turns to his neighbor to exchange some idle conversation, it means he's negating everything that goes on. Nothing is worth anything in comparison to his little unimportant desires. And so, as Shevol Hashem is profaning the glory of Hashem, that sin can never be forgiven. Even if you want to do true, you cannot repent for Fidel Hashem. And you have to say that over and over in the ears of the people. Now don't say, don't be Melamed Chayv on the Am Yisrael. Of course, the Shulchan says that. The Torah says that. So I mean, don't teach Torah to the people. You have to throw it in their teeth. And again and again. Until finally, some people will listen. Is there a hook between There are two statements. Which means also this is for our benefit. And the other statement is called the Ovid Rahman of whatever the merciful ones, he does this for good. So generally, they are exactly the same. Of course, there are certain nuances, certain shades of meaning that each one adds. We won't go into that now. It's enough for us to understand the general idea. How is it possible for Hashem to uh, stand and serve man? You know that man can do it because Hashem does it. Isn't there a lesson come for Hashem? How is it proper for Hashem to serve a man? And the answer is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is interested in creating a world for the benefit of man whereby he learns this great principle that Hashem is toiv. And the way to teach is always by example. If you will teach things to your disciples, to your children, but your behavior contradicts your words, then it won't be effective. You'll tell your child, down with kavana, and you yourself won't. You tell your child, don't quarrel, but you have spats with your wife in the presence of the children, so you're negating everything you're saying. HaKodesh Baruch wants to teach, and therefore he gives demonstrations. But you never see a teacher who sometimes does undignified things in order to show his Talmud. Here's a teacher teaching his Talmudim how to bow down at the beginning of Shmon You have to know how to bow down. When you say Boruch, you have to bend your knees. And Ato, you straighten up your knees and you bow down. When you say Hashem, your head is up. So the Rebbe gets up, he bends his knees and bows down, he raises his head up to demonstrate now, everybody's listening intensely. They're seeing how to start when they People don't know that. People don't know that. Let's get up. Boruch, Ato, Hashem. And they tell me they're listening well. They learned a lesson. That's halacha. Shukhanarach tells you that. In the corner, there's a little let's, a foolish boy, so he snickers. Fool! The whole lesson is lost on you. The Rebbe is making tricks. The Rebbe is teaching you Torah. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not lowering himself. He's giving us lessons in Chesed. The good Talmudim learn. 
David Amelov said, Tarek Lefon Ashulchan. You're setting a table before me. David understood there was a table being set for him. Avraham Avinu learned the last one. And he taught it to others. Avraham Avinu also taught it to others. Evolutionists come along, late in, empty heads. This is an accident. Everything could be having improved on. The eye is full of faults. Fruits are full of faults. There are ways and means of showing that nothing is perfect. So, according to the says, if that's the case, so hurry up, get out of this world. So, we don't need that. We need people who are going to show people how life is happy and purposeful. And that's the truth. There's nothing in the world that's not purposeful. And sometimes when a person encounters a phenomenon that is not able to explain, he should know, however, that it is purposeful. Let's say you go into a bakery and you see all kinds of machines for making bread and cake. You see, there's a mixer. Here are forms in which to pour the dough. In the corner, you find something you don't understand. It's a machine. Who is going to be silly enough to say, it's a mistake? It's an accident? He knows it's a bakery. The bakery wouldn't buy materials, wouldn't buy machinery, unless he needs it. You don't understand? So wait until the baker comes and you'll ask him. And this world, since everything is purposeful, we see the purpose. If you'll come across one thing you don't like, just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not purposeful. So wait until you meet the baker in the next world, and he'll tell you. Sometimes in this world, somebody will tell you. But we have to know the principle is, call my Ovid Rahman. Whatever Hashem made, what didn't he make? It's all the Tava. It's all for good. I can't hear. How do we understand the story of Yaakov who continued to weep? He refused to be consoled. I have to understand the story of Yaakov and what was the purpose of Yaakov and the purpose of his sons. And briefly it's like this. Yaakov didn't weep because he was a weakling. That's a tremendous error. He couldn't control himself, people think. This old fellow was so broken up by the loss of his son that he sobbed uncontrollably. And that's a picture of a weakling. No. Yaakov, when he wept, he wept for a purpose. You have to know that our fathers were cunning extremely cunning. And Yaakov understood there was something behind this because Yaakov had heard what his son had told him that there would come a time when everybody would bow down to him. The Oviv Shomar Es Hadova, the father kept that in his mind. He didn't forget it. And he knew who his son was. He knew who his son was. And therefore, he wanted that to take place someday. He didn't understand something went wrong here. He didn't understand. 
But Ayakov Avinu, there's no question he suspected his brothers of doing something to Jesus. There's no question about it. But since he couldn't put the finger on the, on the thing, he didn't accuse them. What happened to Jesus, he didn't know, but he was waiting. And therefore he wept in order to, to make the brothers know that he is still expecting something to happen. Now the Chazal say that. Chazal say people stop weeping for a mess, but for a high you don't stop weeping. And he had the intuition that his son was suffering right now in this life. That's what he's weeping for. Every tear that Yaakov wept for Yosef was a Yeshua with a salvation for Yosef. Yosef went through the worst things. He was sold as a slave. Now a handsome boy who sold as a slave to Gentiles, most terrible things can happen to him. The Gentiles would use him. The males would use him. They wouldn't hesitate. It's a mess that Yankiv escaped these perils. The maidservants all around would tempt him. They would force him into immorality. Yes, he was a beautiful boy. He was young too. All kinds of things could have happened. And every time that Yankee wept, he didn't weep for a dead son. He had intuition. Something was there. The middle says he, he felt he wasn't dead. And therefore he wept in every tear that he wept saved his son from perils. It was a prayer for his son. And it was Yaakov Avinu's tears that kept Yosef going. Yaakov's brother who listened to the father's tears. And that's why eventually they were reunited. So these are different kind of tears. And no comparison to the tears of that woman in a sister made cotton. If Odom didn't have any passion for his bride until after the Chet, then why did that Kodesh Bo make her appeal to him? Now you have to understand the whole thing is a misconception. A passion between husband and wife didn't start with the Chet of the, that Odom committed. That's an error. It has nothing to do with Chet. The relationship between husband and wife is just as pure and natural as the relationship between your heart and your lungs. The heart and the lungs cooperate. They have communication from the heart. Blood is pumped to the lungs. It's a pleasure, by the way, when blood goes from your heart to the lungs. We're so accustomed to this pleasure we fail to appreciate it. But it's the biggest pleasure there is. Chas v'sholem. It was stopped for a moment. You see what it means. And so a husband and wife, where they live normally and naturally, nothing to do with chet. That's only goyish ideas. The world has so polluted the minds of men that they snicker, they talk about it. In the olden days, there was nothing to talk about. It was as natural as could be the humble function of human beings. Nothing romantic about it, nothing fancy. They viewed it as like, like eating. Everything was simple. It was only after the chet 
that something stepped in to be cloud the original simplicity of that relationship. That's what happened. When they, at the beginning, when they were naked, they didn't think at all. Now let's say, suppose you're naked, and let's say your one thigh sees the other thigh. Nothing embarrassed. Here, this thigh, this naked sees the other naked thigh. You're not embarrassed. Nothing to be, uh, to feel guilty about. And that's how they were. But the passion between husband and wife is natural. Didn't order want to eat? You see, he wanted to eat before the head, because he wanted to eat the eights of the eights So eating was a function of it. Did he enjoy eating? Certainly enjoy eating. So people enjoy normal relationships. There's nothing wrong. It's only after the head that something happened that beclouded and brought in foreign alien ideas in that. And that's what the head caused the downfall. So let's get that clear in our head. When Odom saw Chava, he fell in love with Chava, no question about it. And our cottage brought her wanted that. It's impossible for a man to beget children if he doesn't have passion for his wife. It's out of the question. And the biggest Sadiqim had passion for their wives, otherwise they wouldn't have any children. Out of the question. Try having a child without passion. It's impossible. At least the man has to have passion. And therefore, it's natural. Olekim also has Odom Yosha. Olekim made men right. For the Hamor, Bikshuchish, Benazabi, and the people themselves sought other thoughts, other calculations, and they spoiled the creation of our Kodesh Baruch. Why in the story of the woman with the seven sons, why was she able to cry for more than a year? She can't cry for a dead person for more than a year. Why was she able to cry for more than a year? The Yetzir Hara gave her the Kayach to cry. People, when they embark on their career of being sad, do it like drunkards. Sadness becomes to them a temptation. They indulge in it. Weeping is like taking strong drink. Now that's what caused the Chorban Beis Hamikdash. That's what caused Tishibel. When our fathers were in the wilderness and they were waiting to enter Eretz Zovas Cholabadosh, the beautiful land that Hashem promised. And here come spies, ten important people, and they tell them there's no use because it's impossible. You'll get killed in the attempt. We'll lose too many people. doesn't pay right now. Let's postpone it when there'll be less danger to our lives. Every Israelite life is precious. Let's not risk for nothing our lives because right now the inhabitants are too powerful for us. That was a terrible disappointment. Now, it says that Vayifko on Balayla, the people wept that night. Now, it doesn't mean everybody wept. Yeshua didn't weep. Kolev didn't weep. Miriam didn't weep. I'm sure uh, uh, 
The Tzalal didn't weep. There are plenty of Tzadikim that didn't weep. But there are some people who like to weep. Some people like to be sad and dissatisfied. In this case, they had some excuse. And so they sat down and wept. Now, Kodesh Baruch Hu, at that time, declared the following statement. Atem bechisem bechiyoshalchinam. He wept for nothing. Therefore, on this night, you're going to weep forever. Every year, on Tisha B'Av, we sit on the floor and we weep for the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Now, what's the logic that that night should be chosen forever? The answer is this. We're not supposed to weep in this world unless for certain things. We have to weep because the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed and the glory of Hashem went lost. With a great glory when we all came together to that noble house and we demonstrated our loyalty, our allegiance to Hashem. Now that it went lost, we have to sit and weep for that. It pays to weep for that, yes. But when they sat on the ground in the midway and they wept, they were weeping for nothing because our Kodesh Baruch who had promised them that they would conquer the land. And because they wept for nothing, what were they saying? They were saying that HaKodesh Baruch Hu is not good. Now, they didn't say these words. But it amounted to that. They were propagandizing against him. HaBechiyah to weep for nothing. That's a very big transgression. HaKodesh Baruch Hu's honor is being defamed. He's giving you a land of milk and honey. And you're saying he brought us in the wilderness to cause us to perish here. Oh, that's the opposite of what you should be saying. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch said, that's the case, you're going to weep every year forever. So what do we do? If we weep every year, does it mean we're continuing in the error of our forefathers? Maybe Tisha B'Av, we should spend the time speaking about the glories of life and happiness of being alive? Answer is no. Tisha B'Av, we weep also for the glory of Hashem, but went lost from us. But wouldn't it have been better if we had the Beis HaMikdash and we spent time enjoying it? Isn't it better when you have life to spend time enjoying life? Isn't it better when you have sons to spend time enjoying your children? Isn't it better when you have a wife to think about the joy of having a wife instead of complaining about a wife instead of making cracks and jokes that people make constantly? A wife is a ball and chain. A wife is an impediment. Or she makes some cracks about a husband. These people are silly. It's a blessing to have a husband and a wife. It's a blessing to have all the things we have. It's a blessing to have rain. It's a blessing to have winter. It's a blessing to have the heat of the summer. And if we live that way, Sakhodesh Borja says, they're propagandizing for me. But the Bechiyah Shalchinam to weep for nothing, that's just the opposite. And therefore, it was considered a big transgression. The Ask Rabbi Miller podcast is published by Simchas HaChaim Publishing online at simchashachaim.com. Rabbi Miller's recorded lectures are property of Yeshiva Gedola B.C. Israel.